Podcasting from Astrolab Studios, this is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi fantasy and just plain weird shows that have faded from the collective consciousness and didn't quite make the impact that they intended. This week, Almost Human, episodes nine and seven. Anybody recognize that head? That's impossible. Can't be. You sure? Positive. It's an XRN. What's it doing in our evidence locker? Sorry, I don't follow. What is an XRN? I thought we destroyed it. Destroyed what? The body was destroyed. The head's been in our evidence locker for two years. So someone programmed a bot to commit a crime, get taken out, and end up in our evidence locker to steal that head? Exactly. This was no random crime. Welcome to Continuum the Drag, the podcast hosted by a pair of partners, one a cool guy and one a robot. But which is which? I'm Luke. Here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? That was going to be my question. Which one of us is the robot? Which is the cool guy? It's like a, a job interview. You really can't answer the question yourself. You'd ha- we'd have to take a poll of other people we know, and they would be able to answer who's the cool guy, who's the robot. I think we'd both get robot. We both get robot. But <laughs> wouldn't one of us be like a cool robot? Well, which which one of <laughs> us is which one of us is the DRN model? Which of us is the uh, uh, MX unit? No, good question. Which which one, which one is of us is like business? A, it's it's all a Ken doll from the waist down. <laughs> well, we'll have that measuring contest another day. We'll put it on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Well, Jordan, you know what's real? What's that? Uh, I saw an episode of that DC Titans show. Oh yeah, I, I watched an episode of that. You know who's in it? Detective Stall. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's playing another thankless role. <laughs> She's Jordan's, uh, not Jordan. She's uh, Robin's girlfriend. It's it's funny. I, I forgot about that, but they. Uh, it's a very similar sort of thing where you're, where the audience is led to believe there's a relationship there based on, you know, looks. <laughs> poor lady. Well, poor lady. She's doing fine. She's been on like several series. I guess so, but you know, thankless roles. Maybe she. Maybe she. Maybe they're good. When she's spending all that cash, she ain't complaining. And I haven't watched all of Titans, so maybe she's good. Enough. Will you be watching all of Titans? Uh, I only watched episode 11. I'll tell you what Batman's up to after the show's over. Okay, sounds good. And you'll never guess who plays him. Oh, is, is he actually in the show? Do you, you don't want to spoil it, do I you? have a very mi- minor uh, uh, desire to know. Like, if you don't tell me, I- I'll survive. It's Burt Ward. That's a joke. <laughs> Burt Ward, I don't think so. Burt Ward. He's got to be like 75 years old. <laughs> you almost went for it, though. For a second, I was like, wait a minute. And then I had to do the math in my head. I'm like, Burt Bert Ward's like the age of my grandmother. What a twist, though. He get, finally gets bumped up to Batman. Yeah, that'd be no surprise. I guess Adam West is not going to do it anyway. The CG Adam West is in it. Oh, yeah. I guess that was a possibility. Um. Anyways, Luke, we'll cut this out. But I was just reading today that uh, uh, Scorsese's new movie that he has um, De Niro and Pacino in. They said for the first half of the movie, they're being de-aged with CGI. Because he wants them to play, you know, themselves at the 20s. Um, that is going to cost the movie $140 million. Makes sense. Instead of just like, I don't know, casting younger guys. That's gone. Those days are over. Well, you'd rather have like a weird computer looking uh, uh, De Niro and Pacino that don't look anything like what they did when they were young. Because there's no way we could know what they look like when they were young. Because it's not like they've been acting for 50 years. Well, the, the days of actors are over. Our new actors. We're only going to have the actors we have right now for the rest of time. Now that we figured out how to de-age them, we can just put their face on anybody 
and you never have to look at an actor who's not Robert De Niro ever again. So I've got a little game for us to play today. Okay, what is it? I actually don't know. I've been working on it uh, for a couple days now. It is called Tech Support Bracket. Hold on. It's called Tech Support Bracket or Tech Support and then just you have brackets. No, no. It is a it is a Tech Support Bracket. So it's called Tech Support Bracket. Okay, great. But essentially what I've done here is I've created a bracket, which is a sports thing that I don't know anything about. Yeah. So th- this might not work. And I thought we'd determine who of all the shows we've watched is the best tech support character. Oh, okay. Pretty much synonymous to the genre. That there's always going to be a side character who's kind of there as your tech guy or your tech girl who's there to like build the equipment. or The person who stays back. Yeah. And, you know, takes care of things for you. So I've kind of gone through all the shows we've watched and I've put together a little bracket for us. So... In order to do this, I've had to come up with some ways of making it make sense. Uh, one of them being, you and I will both vote simultaneously. Okay. Where, like, we need buzzers? I think what we can do is, can you see my hands? I can, yeah. If you hold up your hands, and then one will be like, this is for option one, and this is for option two. So you hold up one finger for which option you want. And I'm going to give us two options, and then at the same time, we'll both lift a finger up for which option we like and that person whoever gets the most points will move on to the next round okay if there's a tie if we can't decide between the two of us after this vote i will uh, put it through google fight and whoever is the most google hits through google fight will be the deciding vote it's like letting the people decide yeah we should do that with our politicians and stuff i guess we kind of do it's called voting (laughs) you figured out the system first past the post All those years of social studies have paid off. I do have a minor in political science. So there you go. (laughs) It's coming into play every day of your life. Mm -hmm. So in this bracket, there are eight different competitors. Nice. Ranging from tech war up till today with Almost Human. So I've broken them up randomly. So in our first bracket, there are two choices. Option one, of course, is Rudy Lam from Almost Human. Mm Mm-hmm. Our, our classic robot building uh, dick joke making friend. Yeah. And he's going up against Jerry Robinson, famous, of course, as Quester sidekick. Oh, oh, this is tough. So, all right. I'm going to count us down to three. And on three, throw up your choice. One or two. Three, two, one. Oh, that's two votes for Jerry Robinson. Now, I feel bad because I like Rudy, but I feel, I mean, it's a longer topic, which, you know, if we had a podcast, we could discuss it at longer uh, lengths. But uh, I feel like he's a great character that's sort of hindered with, they only want to use him for like dick jokes, whereas he could be a lot more interesting a character. So I got to give it to Jerry Robinson. Well, good thing we don't have a podcast to talk about it on and we can just move on. Exactly. All right, Jordan. Bracket two. Are you ready? I am. Option one, Nova Thorpe, the sister of the lead character in Warlord Battle for the Galaxy. Oh, I'm glad you told me because I couldn't remember who that was. She was a little girl who uh, was quite the genius. Yeah, she loved she loved her pet rock. I believe it was a uh, bio crystal. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, it was a bio crystal. That's true. And she bought it from the guy from Gremlins. Good times. Yeah. Rest in peace. He just passed away. That's true. And she's going up against Nika from Tech War, the uh, your favorite character. The woman who would call in and give uh, hacking advice. Okay. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Three, two, one. 
Oh, we are undecided. You went for Nova Thorpe, eh? Yeah, the reason I went for it was because um, remember that episode of Tech War where um, we learned a little bit more about Nika's past and her hacker, and there was an episode where they wouldn't stop with her hacking talk? Right. Because of that, she lost my vote. <laughs> <laughs> well, she got my vote for her fun costumes. Yeah, she was uh, like like appropriating Japanese culture, I remember. I love I love when that happens. Yeah. Remember that episode she did blackface? I couldn't believe they did that. Oh my god. <laughs> it was it wasn't a sensitive show. I think one of the episodes we skipped over. <laughs> I'm gonna go to a Google fight and punch them in and see which one gets more hits. Jordan, the computer, the continued drag computer chooses Nova Thorpe. She's moving on. Who would have thought? You. You you chose her. That's true, I did, yeah. Be only because uh uh, she's not a racist like Nika. All right. All right. Let's not be too disparaging. <laughs> we have no evidence. We've got lots of evidence. <laughs> Let the record show. <laughs> all right. Here's bracket three. Are you ready? Yeah. Our next two tech support characters are Ray Palmer, better known as the Adam from the Justice League. Oh, okay. And he'll be going up against Joseph Oppenheimer <laughs> from Beyond Westworld. <laughs> okay. Crater of the robots in Westworld. Yeah. Option one or option two. I'll count us down. One, two, three. Joseph Oppenheimer it is a clean sweep. Justice League is not getting through in anything. I mean, tough one to go up against. He's got a great name, Joseph Oppenheimer. This brings us down to the final match in our first round. This is going to go on for the rest of the night, this, this whole bracket thing. Well, we don't, have, we don't have two episodes to talk about, so. First up, Lev Roch. Do you remember Lev Roch? No. He's from Riverworld. Lev Roch from Riverworld. He was the man who died in the Holocaust, but knew how to run a steamboat. (laughs) Okay. All right. Yeah. And he's going up against Dr. Z. Oh, okay. From, of course. Galactica. 1980. 1980. All right, Jordan. Three, two, one. Oh, Dr. Z makes it through to the next round. Which we didn't specify which Dr. Z, but I guess it doesn't really matter. We didn't, but I, I assume it's the uh, one from the first episode because it's the only one I ever think of. Yeah, I always want to think of that guy too. He, it was uh, uh, Cousin What's-His-Face from uh, uh, The Brady Bunch. Yeah, he really, even though he's the only one episode, he really defined the role for me. He did. Well, he didn't have those silly sideburns like the guy in the, in the later episodes. All right, Jordan, you ready to start round two of this uh, little tech support bracket? Oh, God, it's round two? Okay. So first round, it's Jerry Robinson from Quester versus Nova Thorpe from Warlord. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Three, two, one. Oh, Robinson. he takes it. Questor's just too popular. I think it's even popular with people listening. P- people like Questor. And now, round uh, bracket two and round two, Joseph Oppenheimer from Beyond Westworld versus Dr. Z from Galactica 1980. Okay. Ready? Three, two, one. I'm impressed. We're both agreeing on these. Yeah. Joseph Oppenheimer makes it through to the final bracket. That's the final bracket. Who, who's it? Is it Jerry Robinson versus Oppenheimer? That's it. It's Jerry o- Robinson versus Oppenheimer. Wow. Do you know which way you want to go? I do. All right. Are you ready, Jordan? Yeah. Three, two, one. Oh, split decision. I'm going to punch into the continuum drag computer here. It's, uh, it's random number generator will pick the final winner of our tech support bracket. What an anticlimactic way of finishing it. It's amazing. Only chance will decide. <laughs> Can you imagine watching like a major sporting event and at the end they're like, I don't know, let's just flip a coin. Oh, I'd watch that. I always loved in uh, like a Mario party or something when just like random chance uh, won the game for somebody. I've never played Mario party. Oh my God. What did you do with your life? Wasn't doing that. 
what was it then? Busy, I don't know, watching old Johnny Carson reruns or something. I forget you were born before video games were invented. Yeah. All right. Are you ready for the decision by the computer? Who's who's the grand the grand champion? Joseph Oppenheimer. I never would have thought. From such humble beginnings. He just just was a kid, a kid with a screwdriver and a dream, you know? Created a Westworld, destroyed a Westworld. <laughs> then made a bunch of uh, robots that all had one weakness for some reason. The different ones every time. Yeah, remember, remember the, the very first one? Uh, it was allergic to water. <laughs> I still remember that. That was a really bad show. <laughs> what a classic way to kill a robot, though. One couldn't do public speaking. But it, they made it like a politician. I made that up. <laughs> I mean, one was a politician. Oh, yeah, they assassinated him. Let's go watch, let's rewatch <laughs> that show. That was really bad. Sure. After after we finish this episode, we'll go back and watch yeah. it all again. I've still got the DVDs. So. Oh, yeah, that's right. All right, Jordan. Are you ready for the IMDb summary for episode nine of Almost Human? I, what I like about this is it's, it was episode nine and aired as episode nine. Unbound. Unbound. The mysterious item stored in police evidence is revealed. And an action-packed bot hunt ensues when John and Dorian pull off some enthusiastic moves to reel in the rampaging renegade. The resulting adventure prompts Dorian to question the stability of his own personality and his reliability within the Force, as he literally gets to meet his maker. That was uh, courtesy of Court Finn. So what did the person say? Their enthusiastic moves? Yeah. uh, John and Dorian are pulling off some enthusiastic moves. Yeah, that's weird. Do you disagree? Were they not enthusiastic? I don't know. It, it, it that that the, the synopsis was like like the length of a book. I don't know. It, that was the only part I caught on. All right. So the episode opens up on uh, sort of a weird continuing exploration of uh, Kenix's relationship with children. Yeah. This is this is like a um an odd running joke that they've they've gone uh they've gone to a few times. Um, but this is for some reason both John and Dorian are doing like a police tour for like a class of kids, right? Yeah. And what we really get is that for some reason, Dorian wants to educate them, but John just wants to, I don't know what his point is. He wants to gross them out. Like, is that his goal? He's like the cool uncle. He wants to like show them all the cool stuff. Yeah. So he he basically at one part is like, want to see what a criminal's arm looks like when it's blown off? It's like something like that. And then the kids, the kids are like, what? And then he shows it to them and we actually get a kid shot of a kid throwing up. Yeah, the the chubby kid in the class has to throw up all over the floor. Is that the first time of all the series we've seen? Is that the first time we've now seen someone throw up from being so grossed out? Absolutely, from being so grossed out. I'm trying to think of anyone who's thrown up in another episode of anything, though. It might be the first throw up, too. Yeah, I'm kind of amazed they didn't do it in Justice League. Someone was just so grossed out by the script they were reading. Yeah, like you just hear like the crew in the background. Wretched. We can't cut it out. It's in every scene. <laughs> it's every scene. Just, just throw. Just, they have to keep throwing lines in. Anyway, so that's just like a fun opening to, I don't know, show you more about these characters that we already know about at this point. Yeah, and then they sort of kick off with now what is sort of classic for this show is a basically a crime of the week opening where we kind of see a woman, she's buying uh, 3D printed flowers. Was it, So was that what it was? I couldn't quite tell if it was a 3D printed flower or if he was just putting a flower, like an uncut flower into a box that laser cut it. Like cut off the thorns and sort of things. Maybe that's what it was. It looked like he was taking it out at the end of a process that I assumed was la- was like 3D printing. But did you notice, and this is a spoiler for the next episode, both these episodes we watched have a scene where someone buys a, a rose from like one of these boxes. That is true. There's two, two flower sellers in both of these episodes. So you assume that in the future that the stocks have gone like really, really high for, for flower vendors. It's the, the market's never been higher. 
Well, I mean, I guess if you're 3D printing them, doesn't that mean that the market's never been lower? They're so cheap and easy to buy. Yeah, they're selling them for 10 cents. She also, did you know she also uh, taps to pay with her uh, Apple Pay? Yeah, that's right. Anyway, she but she buys these flowers and is almost immediately like mugged by a man in a hoodie. He like grabs her purse and like pulls it away from her. And then just to make matter worse, shoots her dead in the street after he grabs the purse. He really wants to make sure he's uh, got the job done. He's a real completist. And then essentially 75 MX units just come out of the streets. And this guy like basically commits suicide by cop. Uh, Here's the note I wrote. This better not be one of those plots where the person wants to be caught. I hate that plot. But let me tell you, that's exactly what the plot of this episode is. Of course it is. But I mean, the big reveal, though, is it's not a man. But uh, the thing that was killed was a service bot that had been reprogrammed for crime. Mm-hmm. And what did you think of its uh, face when it when they, they like, because eventually they, they shoot it dead and uh, and then they, like, take its mask off and it has, like, another mask underneath. What did you think of that face? Well, the service bot's kind of cool, yeah. It's kind of got, like, a cyberpunky like, gunmetal kind of steel face with just like a single glowing red cyclops eye in the middle like a really big one yeah i thought it looked pretty cool i was kind of hoping that i'd see more robots like that in the show i i wish we saw more of these surface spots now like those would be cool if they were everywhere those would be better mx units i'd love to see them as mx units. agreed not that the mx units are bad but like it's kind of cool seeing this weird glowing eyed robot anyway so they catch the robot it's dead and then they then they bring it to uh what do you like they're evidence lockup that big thing we've seen before that sort of looks like the end of indiana jones yeah from the first episode they drag it into evidence storage and, and sort of once it's put away it's uh turns out it's got a hidden power supply and it turns itself back on and uh begins walking around the evidence room it's first gathers weapons loaded weapons they're just hanging around the evidence room which yeah. bad storage bad storage but but a good plan Good plan. And then it tracks down that head in a box we saw in the first episode that the Insyndicate was after. Mm-hmm. That we never really got any closure on. And I guess it, it begs the question how these robots work exactly, because I was a little surprised with this. But it sort of takes its own head off and then is able to put the uh, like the head from in the box on its body. So uh, its main processing units are not in the head then. I thought the same thing. This is a real nerdy note, but you assume the main whatever its brain is whatever its operating system is not located in the head because it takes the head off puts on the head of this woman this woman robot but later on as of course she decides she needs the proper body so she removes that body and puts on you know the the female body but then it's like is the processor now in her brain but it's one of those things where it's like don't worry about it it doesn't matter it's just cool that the robot puts itself together yeah maybe the body just has just enough intelligence to like do a head transfer yeah, it just can kind of walk around like with like like a magnet. Do you know who that robot's head was? I I know she I don't know if she's still a kind of a thing, but she was kind of an action star for a short time. It's it's Gina Carano is her name, right? Yeah, Gina Carano, MMA fighter, star of Haywire and Fast and the Furious Six. Now, <laughs> she's not the strongest actress. However, this role does not need her to do much other than look angry and shoot guns. She was a great get for this show. Yeah, I don't really know much about her. I know who she is, but I don't really you know. Know her oeuvre as uh, well as you do. Oh, well, I love Haywire. It's a great movie. And I liked her in this. I actually thought she was great. Uh, and this role, and I was like, oh, good, good get. Good get for a robot murderer. Uh, she's playing an XRN unit. She's a, she's a model like Dorian, actually created from the same company, the Lumacore company. They created the DRNs. And then once the DRNs were decommissioned, they tried to save the company by creating this XRN, which is going to be a soldier bot. Basically, the DRNs were a bit of an embarrassment for this company because of the issues they had with their emotional emotional problems so they made these military ones 
Similar sort of issue, except for this one sort of went berserk and killed a whole bunch of people. So that model will shut down too and essentially destroyed that company. Yeah, the XRN was the only one made this this one woman. And yeah, she went on a, at the big unveiling ceremony. She went on a 36-hour rampage that killed 26 cops. Which is a lot. When they finally took her down, all that was left was her head. And they just shoved it in storage, apparently. Yeah. And, and let, me, let me mention real quick, Luke. And I, I know it's going to be a plot line that you're going to touch on. But right around here is the confirmation of something you mentioned before um, that I had kind of missed and obviously wasn't as interested. But the wall that we've uh, they've hinted at and mentioned in passing now becomes a huge plot line in this episode. And they start talking about it at this point of the episode. It's true. The wall will come into play because... They don't know how this robot got back up and running. She basically shoots her way to the evidence room, and now the police have to kind of track her down again. And as they're, like, running through the variables about, like, who could do this? Who could who could build a, a service bot to do this? They they sort of posit, like, maybe, maybe someone from New Tokyo, but that's too far away. And then someone says, what if it was someone from the other side of the wall? And they're all like, that's impossible. There's no way anyone on the other side of the wall has this kind of ability. They don't have the ability. They don't have the resources. They really imply that not only is it a place where there's not really any opportunities, but you're assuming they don't have any resources or education. It's sort of some sort of lawless society on the other end of this wall that is confirmed, and you do see it in this episode, too. It's like a gigantic, I don't know what you'd call it, like 20, 30, 40-story high, big metal concrete sort of wall. I mean, one of us has to say it, so I guess I'll do it. Yeah. It's a real Trump wall. <laughs> well, it's the wall that uh, Trump really initially pitched that is uh, clearly not going to ever happen. Well, he was watching the show when he came up with that idea, right? He might have been. It's just like, you know, it was good in that episode of Almost Human with that giant wall. Yeah, that, that was keeping all the riffraff out. It works. Did you hear about his new proposition this week? No, what's that? He's demanding that uh, American scientists start developing better AI. Oh, is that right? Do you also get that from from Almost Human? That's what I'm saying. He's watched Almost Human. He's pushing us that direction. He's going to build a wall. He's going to build a Dorian. It's all happening. Wouldn't it be fun, though, if he had a Dorian with him at all times? Just standing there? Constantly checking the level of his testicles. How those testicles doing? Uh, full? Full capacity? Full capacity. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That would be... Uh... Maybe even more of a nightmare than we currently live in. So anyways, back to the episode. They, uh, um, uh, the, I did like that when, uh, um, what are we going to call this robot? Well, she actually has a name we'll come to learn. And I believe it is, I wrote it down here, Danica. Oh, right, Danica. There's a lot of, a lot of scenes of like kind of really showing that she's very ruthless and very methodical methodical about her killing like she hails a cab kills the cab driver takes his car she goes into an office kills the people at the desk like she because there's a sort of every time you see her for the next several scenes that's basically what she's doing and obviously you start learning she's got a plan as she's going but the first thing she does is as we mentioned is she wants to get she needs a new body she's a new body but what i liked about this scene in typical almost human fashion they have her of course putting on you know a now female this in sexy body but she's wearing like a negligee i'm assuming so i'm assuming what i my assumption was she got a sex bot body i like that that you think that's what a negligee is well what wasn't it it was some sort of like it was a revealing outfit it wasn't a uh she didn't put on like uh, uh doctor scrubs well as we know from almost human if you're a girl robot you can only be a sex bot so that was her only option right 
was to find an old sex hot body to use the body of. But yeah, there's a scene where she's like in lingerie and fishnet stockings, putting on like a bulletproof vest. And I too, for one moment, was like, are they seriously going to have her dress like this for the whole episode? That's what I thought it was going to be. I thought she was going to be running around like bra and underwear. But there's suddenly, there's suddenly a cut and she's just dressed like a normal person. Yeah. Like, I wonder, I'm like... So she put on that body armor in that lingerie and was just like, oh, well, this isn't going to work. So they cut and there's a whole scene where she like finds a proper pair of clothes, gets properly dressed. Do they never really explain why she needed to have the new body? The other one seemed to work fine. It was it. It was she needed to have a feminine body to go with her feminine head. Oh, no, they said it. Uh, it's because that body was riddled with bullets from when it was shot by cops. Oh, well, OK. Well, there you go. But it just so happens that the workshop she's come to steal this body from happens to be run by the old head of Lumacore, the place that made her and Dorian. Yeah, John Larroquette. One John Larroquette shows up. I was more pleased at this than I should have been. How surprised were you? I was very surprised. And I was like, oh, John Larroquette. We all enjoy him. Yeah, it's always nice to see John Larroquette pop up to do something here and there. Weird that he's on the show, but... I, th- I think he was really good in this role, too. Yeah, it, it, he was great. I, I, I think... This was one of their better episodes. She was good. He was good. They were good guest stars that like really had the parts down. Yeah. Oh, so his name is Dr. Nigel Vaughn. Is that it? Or Vaughn? Vaughn. Vaughn. Yeah. Yes. Uh, essentially, she doesn't kill him. And we're, I think we're led to believe by a look they have it. She doesn't kill him because she recognizes her maker. Uh, I think we'll come to learn later. Maybe that's not entirely true. Really? It, this It's not a huge spoiler that he might he might be playing both sides of things. And, and you kind of get that hint right off the bat. It's true. He offers to start helping Kenix and Dorian sort of track her dad when they show up to like investigate the uh, hijacking of this body from his workshop. And uh, they head over to Rudy's lab to kind of get to work on this. And this is the first time we've seen a wide shot of Rudy's lab, I think. Did you know it was an old church? Oh, I didn't even notice that. Oh, yeah. When he walks in, they have this big sweeping shot where we just see all the stained glass windows all over his uh, laboratory. Oh, weird. I'll have to go back and see that. I didn't notice. And I think uh, John Larroquette refers to it as his cathedral or something. I clearly wasn't paying attention. I was I was just distracted by how good uh, John Larroquette's hair is still. Oh, yeah. May we all have hair that good at exactly. that age. John Larroquette basically requests that he get all his old equipment back. And it's approved because if he can get his old synthetic souls that he used to work with back... He should be able to use the one that they used to create the XRN model to basically capture her energy signal and uh, track her down. So that's kind of how he's coming in to help them is basically set up some sort of tracking device for her. Well, yeah. And, and the reason he needs his equipment is because he's basically being relegated to just a fix it man after the sort of shame of what happened with both the DRN model and uh, old uh, uh, killing, killing woman robot. Yeah. Well, they're sort of setting this up. Danica, the XRN, she, she's been pretty busy. Uh, she breaks into some computer lab by cutting a guy's eye out. Yeah, that was pretty good because she needs the eyeball to get into the eye scan. So she just takes his eyeball out. I was like, yeah, that works. Pops it right out. <laughs> uh, by the way, I-, I was keeping count. At this point, she had killed five people. Oh, it's a murder spree for her. Yeah. She essentially steals five XNA processing cores. Mm-hmm. They're an advanced Android processing unit. And basically, they're sort of figuring out whoever's basically got her out is having her gather parts to, you know, build some sort of bot army. Yeah, an army of 500. Yeah. And sort of her final stop on this, like, rampage slash bot making shopping spree is uh, she heads off to the fundraising campaign for a uh, city councilor named James Hart. Mm-hmm. He, uh, I guess he's the guy or the politician who uh, switched the DRNs to MX models after they started having emotional problems. 
So uh, your first sort of hints that perhaps uh, perhaps John Lettercat's not on the up and up. Yeah, it all starts seeming very uh, coincidental that he's involved when clearly the person who wrecked his life is an assassination target. And as she starts shooting up this political rally or this political campaign, uh, John Lettercat basically comes up with a way to stop her. He gives Kenix an EMP spike which he's told that he needs to jam into the base of her neck and set off in order to disable her. She's got the, uh, what do you call it, Beyond Westworld robot problem where she has one one uh, weakness. This is jabbing her in the back of the neck with a spike. That's her weakness. You got to admit that that's better than all the other robots who can just get shot to death. That's true. Because at this shoot, because basically what we get into now is basically the classic episode ending shootout. And she's... If we thought Dorian was a bullet sponge, look out. She can just <laughs> absorb so much damage. Yeah, she really can. Well, it's clearly clearly one of the strengths and, and why she wanted that new body. It can really take a lot of bullets. She almost kills James Hart. She's blown away MX units left and right. Uh, and finally, uh, Dor- or Kenick sees his chance. And he, he gets in there and uh, jams that EMP spike into the back of his her neck. But it doesn't have the effect he was hoping for. No, she manages to... I guess because it doesn't do anything, she just turns around and like kicks the shit out of Kenix. Yeah, she just really beats the two of them up for for uh, long amounts of time. Yeah, Dorian gets in there and starts hand to hand fighting her. Another another good bot fight. At which point she like double foot kicks him through a load bearing pillar and he gets impaled on a rebar spike. By the way, Dorian, they must need to replace him at this point. He's had so many body parts ripped off and impaled and destroyed over the course of the show so far. Like, it's, it's crazy that they would even keep repairing him. I mean, I, I think what we're looking at is, is essentially a different Dorian from the first episode. Like, m- almost all of his reports have been replaced. Yeah. Like, his his ear, his eyeball, he's been, he's had his head blown open. He's had his chest blown open many times. It's been a, it's been a rough go for poor Dorian. So anyways, and then, uh, so she gets, she basically has a hand-to-hand fight with both of them. Kenix has to kind of get back in there because uh, he needs to save Dorian. She's about to kill Dorian and... He uh, he gets in there close and does that classic move where you she's got a vest on full of grenades and he uh, pulls one of the grenade pins out of her vest. Yeah, it's it's a scene you've seen a million times. And then they do the thing and be like, guess what I got? What he should have had a line is like, you're engaged or something like that. And then he like takes the ring and, you know, that sort of stupid thing. And then he and he blows around on one knee. Yeah, exactly. It on her finger. Why are you doing a one knee? One knee? Because I gave you a ring. That sort of thing. That's the scene. I mean, we could write a lot of that. Luke. Doesn't hold up, but <laughs> he's not giving her a ring. He's taking a ring. Yeah, you're right. Whatever. This whole thing's falling apart, George. Sorry. Uh, what I did like though is, I don't know. Did you clock this? He pulls the ring out, and then he kicks her basically out of the building. Yeah, he, he somehow somehow. Well, they do they do mention a real quick line after that. Like it's because he has his like a uh, uh, robotic leg, but he kicks her like 50 feet. It was just like whoa, that that was a some kick. I really liked it because I'm like, whoa, that was a hell of a kick. And then after he does it, he's like, or Dorian's just like, robot leg's pretty good, huh? He's like, yeah, not bad. Yeah. It was good because I'd forgotten that he had that robot leg. There should be more scenes of him uh, just kicking things really, really well with that one leg. I would, I would remind. It'd be, good, it'd be a good episode if he's testing out how that robot leg works. Like, he can jump really far on one leg if he does the long jump just right. But just not in the other leg, though. That's, it's a, like, it's, he doesn't use it anymore, so now it's all skinny and, and all emaciated. <laughs> But essentially, yeah, this this ends the rampage of the XRN and back at the old police station after after the whole thing's wrapping up, they start the precinct starts to notice that, hey, uh, 
what happened to John Larroquette? Wasn't he just here? Yes, yeah, like he 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 couldn't have just got out of here with like I don't know three thousand police officers here, right? Oh no, he did. So basically, he gets away. He they they see him on the street, and he picks up the synthetic souls, which are they just look like little test tubes. Yeah, he's got those. He's got the processing units. Yeah, and he and he got it all together, and then he goes to the wall, and someone like throws him over. No, he gets like a thing to like shoot shoot his way up, like a little grappling hook. Yeah, uh, basically a rope comes down from the top of the wall, and he he grapples up to the top of the wall. And the wall is great because it is this huge wall with just giant like flashing letters that say "Turn back" and "Restricted area." And the wall is not even outside of the city; like the wall is seemingly in the center of the city. It look yeah, it looks like it's just one side of the street. What I did like though is when they're after he disappears, the cops are all standing around trying to figure out, you know, now that he has all these parts to build robots, where would he go? And they kind of posit three possibilities. One is a uh, abandoned shipyards mm-hmm. the other is collapsed subway tunnels from the light bomb attacks oh yeah that's right yeah and then finally they're like dorian's like what if you went to the other side of the wall and everyone is less like no no that's impossible like they all reject the idea outright i know when they say i'm like well that that makes sense you could go to the wall but they make it sound that beyond the wall it's so bad that that's such a ridiculous thing like it's you know it's mad max over there you don't want to go over there yeah, it's impossible he could have done that. But, I mean, that basically wraps up the episode. We finally get a little bit of this, like, season arc about what's up with his head in this evidence room. And it finally goes missing. Is John Larroquette working with the In Syndicate? I have no idea, but maybe one day we'll find out. Do you think we're ever going to see what's on the other side of that wall? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to find out if John Larroquette's working with his ex-girlfriend. I have no idea. My guess was that's a second season thing, and we're not going to see it. Well, we're close to the end now, so we'll find mm-hmm. out shortly. But anyways, that's that That's that episode. Should we get into episode seven? Yeah, Simon says. Whoever put the bomb on Ramon Medina broadcast the whole incident live. Cybercrime went back and found this on an unpatrolled area of the internet. Hmm. Darknet. Yeah. I don't have much time. I know there's a lot of disturbing video streaming there, but shouldn't someone be monitoring for murder? They are. They just can't keep up. And you think the person who put the cameras on this... Did it for attention? Not just attention, approval. This is about putting on a show and getting as many views as possible. You'd be surprised how many get off on this live violence. You should have seen the comments. They wanted this bomb to explode. It would take me at least five minutes to find the lead wire. How many viewers watched this? Went from four to hundreds to over 3,000. Detective Kennex and Dorian investigate Simon, a psychopathic killer who is strapping bombs to his victims' necks and broadcasting their final moments over the internet. Meanwhile, a power deficiency affects Dorian's energy level, causing him to have unexpected outbursts. That was courtesy of Carlo Smajo. Carlos Nacho? Smajo. Smajo? S-M-A-G-O? J-O. Oh, J-O. That is Smajo. I don't think that's a real name. You don't think so? No, I don't think Smajo's a name. <laughs> well, name your kid that and then it will be a real name. I think it's a nickname. Like, hey, Smajo! Carlos, Smajo! Smajo! <laughs> so this episode starts with, um, uh, here's what you need to know. There's rolling blackouts in the city. It's going to be a plot point. I don't actually remember why. Why Why were there blackouts? They'd been hit by some sort of massive solar flare. Oh, is that what it was? Really? Yeah. It seemed like, oh, I'm like, isn't there an episode where a solar flare hits the city and it's like a total chaos and a blackout? That seems like an episode of this show. No, what what the solar flare was was the one way you could shut down the radio station in uh, Galactica 1980. Remember they they mentioned that, and then it was not a plot point. So, are you positing that 
in Almost Human, Troy and Dylan are trying to stop a Cylon from sending a, a sort of message from a radio station in this current timeline and Galactica is floating above them trying to stop them. My theory is every show we've watched, they all operate in one way in the exact same universe. I wish that were true. And one day when we write that fan fiction, it will be. Yeah, you're going to have to have a lot of a lot of knowledge of a lot of shows to be able to understand the story. But if you have seen them all and if you're an avid listener, you, you'll really appreciate it on a different level. Yeah, on a very different level. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, getting back to these rolling blackouts caused by the solar flare. Basically, what's happened for the precinct that everyone works in is Detective Paul's been made the energy marshal. There's only so much electricity to go around. And he's prioritized the MX units over Dorian. So Dorian's kind of running at like partial power. Yeah. And what would you think as, as a manager? Do you think that was the right call? I mean, to be fair, he picked the greater need over Dorian, who's, a, I guess, at this point, a more specialized sort of robot. Now, at the same time, it's like, he's just one robot. Why not let him get powered up and then charge everyone else up? But really, Dorian really uh, moans about it for the entire episode. Well, I mean, this first time we see him, Dorian walks up and essentially punches Detective Paul in the face, though he must have pulled that punch since we know he can flip a van. But That's right. Yeah, can you imagine you just punch him and just exploded his head? I'd be like, oh, didn't see that coming. Well, honestly, I was just like, if his head didn't explode... He he pulled his punch. Yeah, but but the, the the reason for the scene is to show that because he is not able to charge and his energy is very low, apparently the first thing that gets affected is his emotional state, so he becomes very, I don't know, hysterical. Well, they sort of basically position it like for Dorian, being charged or getting electricity is like drinking coffee. So if he doesn't have his coffee in the morning, he's a real grumpy Gus. Yeah, he goes on and on about it. And also... At the beginning of that day, isn't he at like 75% charge? Yeah, he burns through it real quick. I mean, this happens a few times. Like, it'll bounce to his POV and it'll kind of like show an alert message popping up. And at one point, like, an alert popped up. It's like, you have 49% power. And I'm just like, if my phone complained to me every time it hit 49% power, I'd lose my mind. Like, you've got half a charge. That's more than enough. Well, that's what I mean. He, he punches the guy at 75%. 75%. He's already like going insane. And at one point, like Maldonado's like, is he okay? And John's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll be fine. Don't worry about it. I'd be like, He's not fine. He's clearly not fine. It's a weird like sub B plot that they have running through the episode. But really, as a responsible partner, he shouldn't be out there. Well, he asks Rudy about it. Even Dory or Kenix at some point is so concerned. He's like, should I be worried about how erratic he's becoming? And Rudy's just like, uh, it's it's okay. But I mean, this has to be why they were decommissioned because this is insane. Yeah, well, you're right. This is this is a huge flaw to the machine if that he lo- they lose a little bit of power and they become so emotionally unstable that they start just punching coworkers. You have to keep them above 80% charge. Yeah, and also become a pretty unbearable person. He, he really annoyed me during this episode. It was a very strange thing. And Dorian's got a lot of complaints this episode. He, he's going through some stuff, I guess. It's like, he can't stand being around all these MXs in this apartment we've seen him in. And he basically asks Kenix if he can move in with him. Which you think it's setting it up for like a thing that they're going to live together. But they really push back that he's just like, uh, John's just like, no, it's not going to happen. I don't want to do it. Well, he has the space. He has that trophy room with all his high school trophies from uh, football. I thought that was going to be a joke. Like when they made that, I thought that was a joke of like, he has extra space, but he has it for trophies. But they they run with it. He literally has a room that he's filled with trophies. Does that does that jive with the character that we've known so far? That he's so obsessed with his youth that he keeps all the awards and accomplishments because he's he's accomplished nothing since then. Did that make sense to you? 
I mean, I don't know if it quite jived. It was it was a weird character reveal. It's like, yes, I have all my high school trophies. And he just went on and on about his glory years in high school for a while. And I'm like, huh, interesting. He's like, they call me the White Cheetah. And I was like, that sounds racist. That was very weird. That he had a nickname, the White Cheetah. And then he started chanting it. If there's one real glaring flaw in this show, is its sense of humor. It never seems to land. And this was just another scene. I'm just thankful it wasn't a scene where they were talking about their dicks. Well, Jordan... What was the nickname your high school used to chant for you? Did, you? did I ever tell you what my actual actual one time, what my one nickname was? No, please tell me. I decided, wouldn't it be a good idea to shave my head? And uh, um, people called me Chemo Kitten was my nickname. Chemo Kitten. Yeah, but it wasn't good. Chemo like kitten. like the, the, the basketball team would find me and rub my head for luck and before they went out. They would find, they would like track you down. Like I'm, I'd be in the hallway and they'd be like, there's Chemo Kitten, rub his head. It was, it wasn't good. You, you were standing in front of the gym waiting for any sort of attention. Yeah, exactly, exactly right, yeah. Good or bad. Hey, isn't it weird? I'm just here. Who's going to rub my head? Rub my head. Please, please. I'm just in the, I'm just in the change room, just waiting. <laughs> yeah, chemo kitten. Anyway. Wow, that's something I didn't know. Great nickname. Yeah. It's better than White Cheetah, anyway. I mean, certainly more original. So anyways, in this part of the episode, we cut to like, guy in a car the crime of the week yeah crime of the week guys in a car squeegee kid comes out and basically is like Can, what, what do they call it he he basically is going to clean the guy's car but he's cleaning it like electronically what was it uh, you know what i don't have it written down here he has like a spray can it's like an electrolyte or something he sprays it on the car and kind of cleans it with nanotechnology how much does it cost though oh i didn't catch how much was it it was 10 bits <laughs> oh i like that it was 10 bits that's a that's a bargain so what is the currency in this world? Is the currency Bitcoins? You know what? I thought at one point uh, they used their thumb to pay for something, but I do realize that last night I just watched Back to the Future Part 2, and I'm mixing that up So, because um, they're both really accurate representations of the future. But I think Bitcoin is, is, the, is the way of the future. You were right, Luke. All that stock you put in it was well worth it. <laughs> Jordan... One day I'll convince you that Bitcoin is uh, is a future something important. You're gonna be buying those 3D roses like no one's business. I'm gonna be at home reliving my days as as chemo kitten. I mean, you'd be doing that anyway. Yeah, in my trophy room. <laughs> All the trophies they made for you. Mm-hmm. Best best head to rub. Yeah. So that 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 squeegee kid charges ten bits to wash your car. Do you know how much that is in Canadian dollars? <laughs> how much is it? Forty seven thousand dollars to wash your car. Wow. So it's actually not a good price. Well, I don't know what inflation is at that point. It's true. Bitcoin has really dropped in the future. But he's he's not just cleaning the guy's car, is he, Luke? No, it's this is all a bit of a ploy. What he's got in that aerosol can is uh, fentanyl oxide, which he sprays in the face of this bank loan officer who's driving the car. And when he wakes up, the bank loan officer realizes he's got a bomb strapped around his neck. Yeah, it's a game. The deadliest kind. There was a really brief window of time around when this show came out where pop culture loved the idea of a bomb around your neck. Hmm. Because there's that movie, 30 Minutes or Less. There was actually another TV show at this time called Heist that did the same thing. And then uh, a Colombian movie called PVC One came out around here too. Really? Where they're all like bomb around your neck movies. Hmm. It's because this really happened in like the early 2000s. That's right. There's that documentary on that uh, on that guy. That was it was that weird yeah. like scandal with the woman and her boyfriend and all that stuff. Yeah, evil genius. I think the docs. That's called. right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is really quite clearly like a real like everyone's like, oh, we got to grab this rip from the headlines plot. But uh, this one has a bit of a twist. Yeah, it's a real takedown of society. This time, 
he's the uh, the bad guy, this mad bomber, is going to broadcast the whole thing on the dark web. No, but they don't say dark web. You know what they said? They said dark internet. Oh, dark. In- is that what they said? Yeah, they said dark internet because I wrote it down because it made me laugh because I was like, could they not say dark web? But they, they had to say dark internet. When they were talking about it, I was like, I, I wonder if this is a new concept at this point, like to the general public, the idea of the dark net. I, th- I think it was because it's it basically it's that whole idea is like what sickos would watch a video of someone with a bomb around their neck to see if they're going to be able to get it off or not. That's basically what this plot is, that this guy is br- is broadcasting these things, and then you find out, why would he be doing this? You know, blah, blah, blah. You want to you hear the trivia in IMDb for uh, this particular episode? Oh, please. It's, re- it's related to what we're talking about right now. The trivia in IMDb for this episode is, Darknet, depicted in this episode, actually exists, even today, under the name of Shadow Web, on the <laughs> hidden.onion website. All sorts of morbid and monstrous online links are available on Shadow Web. Even the so-called snuff movies, much like those made by Simon. Did he make snuff movies in this? I mean, I guess you could say these live broadcasts he's making are snuff videos. I just like the idea there's someone out there being like, I got to write trivia because people need to know this dark web is real, is, is real, is real. And it's called the Shadow Web. Let's write it. Let's write trivia for all these and be like, "Do you know that a bomb is an actual thing? And sometimes you can find explosives." <laughs> um, speaking speaking of internet stuff in this episode, I uh, went back and I basically paused it every time the chat room that accompanies the live dark web broadcast was on and tried to write down the best screen names. Did you Did you happen to catch any of these screen names? No, I didn't catch any. Give, give me. I bet you. I want them to be the same names as the people that write the synopses for these episodes. <laughs> it's it's oh it's old it's old chumbo again what was that guy's name that did it uh, <laughs> smajo yeah yeah that's it one thing i noticed in them is uh people in the future are still using the word the term yolo <laughs> luke of course they are i'm just guessing it's basically come back around and now they're using it very ironically yeah do, do any of them have hashtags no hashtags surprisingly but here here's a few of the uh of the names the screen names who are on this uh chat room there's Hater aid, spelt with an eight, of course. That's good. That's a good one. He hater. He hates things. There's American Freedom seventy six, mm-hmm. which I did the math on, and I'm assuming that's his birth year. So that means there's a seventy one year old man on the dark web watching these videos. Wait, wasn't wasn't uh, uh, America founded in seventeen seventy six? Oh, I didn't know that. I'm not from there. I'm I'm looking up right now, and America's founded seventeen seventy six. I was right. You're a genius. Yeah. So there you go. That's why he's he's such a he's such a believer in the American dream that he's going back all the way to the to year one. That poli side degree is paying off. Yeah, it's true. Finally. All right. Next up, Salmon Whisperer one. <laughs> Salmon Whisperer. That's funny. And then the only one of note that I also wrote down was uh, some guy was watching this and his name was a uh, movie lover too. He thought he was on a different type of a uh, uh, different chat room. He stumbled in somewhere real weird. He's just like, I love movies, you guys. You want to talk about uh, the reboot of, I don't know, Backdraft? Oh, Backdraft's getting redone in 2045? I assume so. Oh, that's good. The uh, CG face of Robert De Niro is playing the lead. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Everyone's been CG, CG'd much younger. Just keep the same actors. It'll all be fine. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So he basically has a game. He, he gives the banker these instructions. He wants them to go to the bank he works at and get... 427,000 bits on a USB drive. And so the banker does all the stuff and he's he's driving off to like get to the final destination so we can get this bomb taken off of him. And 
the call goes out that a bank's been robbed. So uh, Kenix and Dorian end up in a car chase with him. Um, can I mention one thing? At, at uh, one point, uh, they're talking about trying to defuse the bomb, and uh, they go, uh, they get, you know, they they call in Rudy, and Rudy goes, "The bomb is very sophisticated." I don't think I've ever seen anything where a bomb has to be diffused on a TV or movie or anything where the bomb is not sophisticated. Never once did they're like, this is a real rudimentary piece of crap. <laughs> this one's an easy one. Yeah this, yeah, this one's easy. It's just a little combination lock. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Dorian and Kenix pull over this guy with a bomb on his neck and he's he's begging them, he's begging them to help him. And uh, it's kind of fun because when they pull over his car... Dorian leans out and he shoots a gun, but it's got an EMP blast in it and it kind of like disables the car. Yeah, it's the first time we've seen that technology. I mean, it's a it's a useful technology for police officers that they could just stop car chases. I'm, I'm pretty sure, though, there, there's other parts in this show where they could have used that. Yeah, I don't know if they've had another car chases, actually, now that I think about it. Anyway, another cool piece of technology they have is uh, when they kind of get him out and see how much time's up in the bomb. It's actually kind of funny. They're, they're, Dorian and Kenix are both looking at him. They're like, oh, well, we can't help you. Yeah, uh, there's not enough time. And that, that was something I did like is I can't think of something where the people were just like, yeah, we're not going to be able to defuse this bomb. And they just put a, like a force field around him. And then the guy explodes. They drop this little puck and it like shoots a little circle force field around him. And they're very apologetic about it. But they're also pretty nonchalant about it. They're just like, well, I don't know what to tell you, man. You're dead. I actually thought that was pretty good because I think what they were doing was they were not escalating the situation they didn't want him panic or anything it was just like there's nothing we could do here's the thing we're really sorry and before the guys even kind of realizes what's happening he's already blown up yeah he explodes so fast this is really sets up that like he's taunting them the the evil mastermind villain who's streaming this yeah they they do a quick swing past rudy's place because they need to get they emp'd his car but they're gonna get the data recorder off it recovered while they're there they do a quick scene where Rudy gives Dorian a quick electrical bolt or something like he's just like I'm gonna give you this jolt of energy which is basically like an espresso shot for you yeah that is literally a line where they're like this is like an espresso shot yeah because they need him to uh because he's been bellyaching about his power for the entire episode at this point this is just a way to get him up a little bit more and while he's charging Rudy uh Rudy tells Kenix a little bit of a sob story about how He's pretty lonely in this big old church he works out of. Uh, all he has are his robotic butterflies to keep him company. Yeah. Foreshadowing, because someone else needs a place to live. I have to say, I really feel bad for the character of Rudy and, and uh, Mackenzie Crook as well, because I actually feel like he steals every scene he's in. He's very good. He's very watchable. He's actually an interesting character, but the, the show is so desperate to keep hammering in that he's this beta male. And I guess as a way to be like, Kenix is cool. He's not cool. And they just have to hammer it in so hard that all the lines end up being like, my penis is small. And just like, and it's like, why? He's he's a fun, interesting character. Why can't you just do fun stuff with him? Anyways, that's my own personal irritation. Uh, you're not wrong. Mackenzie Crook is doing a great job. He actually is very watchful in all his scenes. But this episode, and I think even the last episode too, anytime he's on screen, they're trying to find a way to jam in some sort of dick joke around him. Like in the yeah. last episode too, they call and they're like, is everything okay? And he's just like, oh, the burning turned out to be nothing. And they're like, and then he's like, how did you know about that? And they're like, what? No, we called you to ask you a tech question. Why did you say that? Like, they, they keep trying to jam in weird jokes, sex jokes for him. It's really weird. It's this weird thing they just can't let go. And every time you think, well, they won't do it again. But it's been of the 10 episodes we've watched, at least eight of them have had it in it. It's a strange choice that's not really working at all. And I, I keep expecting they're going to give up on it, but they almost seem to be doubling down. Yeah, it's not going to go away anytime soon. 
Anyway, Dorian gets them the address where that car was headed. They go to this old uh, sort of rundown restaurant that's no longer operational. The only thing working there is this old jute box where the bomber starts texting Kenix and Dorian saying, hey, you want to be involved in my game? Well, guess what? There's a new lady who's going to have a bomb on her chest. She's a flower delivery lady and you got to find her. She goes out for delivery. She wakes up and she has a bomb around her and he kind of forces her to do things while she's being live streamed. Yeah. Dorian and Kenix race, race there and start trying to like, Again, disarm the bomb in her because they have a little more time uh, this time around anyway. And she starts telling them she knows who put the bomb in her neck. Basically, she realized that she went on a date from a dating service she was using, a dating website. And she ended up like going to this park on a picnic with this guy who was a real creep. And she sort of took off and ghosted on him. And she realizes, oh, this is the same guy. But she, she really put two and two together real quick. Huh? Like, if, if someone, like if someone put a bomb around my neck, I'd have to think more than this woman did. To be like, oh, I've only ever had one bad interaction in my life. It's got to be that guy. Well, I think it, later in the show they say this interaction was so bad she went onto forums and warned other women about him. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was that creepy. So he was so creepy that this, like, she woke up with a bomb around her neck. She's like, oh, I know who exactly who did this. <laughs> it right. was that creep who wanted to have a picnic. But thankfully for this woman, uh, they're a little bit better at their bomb defusing this time. And after a, they have a, a little. Well, it's like a very drawn out scene, but they they diffuse it. Well, that's not true. Uh, When they arrive, they have eight minutes. We go to commercial break. And when we come back, there's three minutes. So they skipped over five whole minutes. Yeah, it it feels like they're diffusing the bomb forever. And it's very funny because this is obviously live streamed. People are tuning in and chatting about it. But even in this one, like in this second one, he barely gets over like 2000 viewers. Like, this, this isn't a viral hit by any means. It's true, because they were like, who are these sick people? I'm like, well, there's not that many people that are watching this. Thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm just like, there's like maybe 2,000 people tuned in. Like, this isn't going well for him. He's not blowing up. Yeah. But his victims sure are. Oh, nicely done. Wah, wah. So they defuse the bomb. Defuse the bomb. Go back to trying to track this man down. They they hit up his old dating profile, and uh, they, they find him uh, under the screen name Shy and Looking. Or as Detective Paul says. Yeah, what does he say? It's something insulting. He goes, shy and looking, more like shy, looking, and deadly. <laughs> and then uh, Dorian, like, busts a gut. It's just like, classic Polly. That's a great one. Yeah. That's because his energy's so low. He's so erratic, I guess. He's Yeah, he'll laugh at bad jokes. What's happening because of his power uh, shortage isn't quite, isn't quite clear or consistent, but it's just, it's just an excuse for the actor to act out of character. Yeah, he's, he's all over the place. Essentially, though, they find out the bank guy he killed had denied him a loan at some point. They realize he'd been in the police academy in the bomb squad, but he'd been kicked out because of a psych evaluation. And they get the address of the trailer he's living in. So they, they head out there to, to try to arrest him. Oh, and don't they find out that he wanted to be a cop at one point? Yeah, he was in the he was in the police academy in the bomb squad. Right, right. That's right. Yeah. How do you get just in the bomb squad? Uh, you specialize. Right. He specialized, but still didn't work for him. Well, that, that uh, psych, psych evaluation. I mean, that's why you got kicked out of uh, PolySci, right? Because that psych evaluation. Mm-hmm. You know, but, you know, uh, unrelated uh, to that to little uh, little joke about me um, is that uh, did you notice in the future, every time they like they, they're talking about someone, whether it's a suspect or um, a victim or, you know, some someone that they're discussing, they put them on the screen and there's like a little image of the person like their face and then it will rotate 360 do you notice that right i just i just like that in the future everyone's id is it's the front of you and then it's like your whole head so like if you put it your driver's license oh hold on let's see the back of your head yeah yeah it's you you're allowed in 
Well, you know when you go to the airport and they give you that body scan, right? Yeah. They're, they're just, that's what they're doing. They're just setting up your full they're body They're setting profile. it all up, huh? Well, it'd be weird if it was a full body. Anyway, just, just something I noticed. Good, good to know. Yeah. When they arrive at the trailer he's living in, uh, they discover it's all booby traps. So they're going to have to send a drone in to basically set off the booby trap. And while they're sort of prepping for that, uh, CSI calls up a uh, detective Paul and's like, "Hey, can you send Kennex over here? We have a quick, we have a quick thing to show him just down the street." Not suspicious at all. But what we come to find out is this CSI call was actually from the bomber, and he uh, gives Kennex a quick spray to the face while no one's looking. And uh, next thing you know, Kennex is waking up on a park bench with a bomb around his neck. Can you believe it? He's now one of the people. I was kind of hoping because there's a brief moment where they're like, there's this brief moment where they're like, what happened to him? We've got to track him down. And it looked like for a quick moment, the detective Paul and Dorian were going to have to team up. And then it didn't happen. No, it's because because really at this point, they're, they're really running against the clock. There's not that they still need to have him be able to get out of his bomb and they need the guy to get caught. So they don't have time for a team up at this point. I mean, it all moves pretty quickly. Since it's being live broadcast, they're able to figure out where Kenix is very easily because He's showing everyone where he is. They get there and they realize they can't go help him defuse this bomb because this guy's like, I've got a dead man's trigger and I'm watching. And if you go near him, I'll, I'll blow it. I'll blow up Kenix before he gets out. And basically Kenix is given a screwdriver and a wire cutter. And this guy's like, if you're so smart, if you're such a smarty pants, get out of it yourself. The weird thing about that was it's the exact same bomb they've already defused. So I know like he's not a he's not that's not his specialty, but he has now done it once before. So he kind of knew what he was doing. It's not like it was a new bomb. No, it's true. Uh, the challenge, I guess, is mostly like, he's really saying, is like, I know you can defuse a bomb, or at least I've seen you watch someone do it. Now, can you do it yourself on yourself? Right, right. And he does have to like, you know, use a mirror or something to like look at it while he's doing it. I think he uses his phone or something. It's kind of a fair challenge in some ways. Yeah. Uh, the bomber's watching this all from a clock tower, and they kind of realize he must be somewhere nearby because they can tell he's watching, and he's warned them he has a dead man's trigger, so if he if he gets shot, it'll blow up. Uh, and Dorian spots him up on this clock tower, and it's like, all right, got to do something about this. I think I can climb that tower without him noticing me. His plan is that he has another power we've never seen Dorian be able to do, which is he can take the electricity out of his body and just shoot it shoot it outwards as like an attack i don't know if that's an actual like thing he has or it's just something he's like he's like i can do that sometimes i mean basically if he touches someone he's just tasing them i guess but would you what, what's his percentage when he starts climbing that uh it's like 17 or something right yeah when he starts climbing he's only at 15 percent power so he's 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 king kong in his way up this this tower and by the time he gets to the top He's just about to fall apart, and he manages to zap the bomber at 3%. And zapping him to the point where he can't, uh, I guess he has, like, rigor mortis. He can't uh, He can't press the button, so you don't have to worry about him blowing it up. I got to say something, though. This actor playing the bomber, I think he's actually pretty good. I mean, there's not a lot for the character to do. I mean, this character, maybe more than any other one we've seen, is, like, a crazy Batman villain. I've seen this actor before, and he's, and uh, sadly, I think I've only ever seen him in these type of roles. Where he plays like an unstable person. Well, he's in the Ant-Man movies. Oh, is he? I haven't seen those. He's like Ant-Man's friend. Is he unstable? No. No. Perfectly stable. He's just like Russian or something. Oh, well, shows what I know. But it's actually, he's as he's watching before Dorian gets up there, he's watching Kenix try to undo this thing. And he's kind of watching, all, like, I think this time around he gets about 10,000 viewers. And he's standing up there and this actor is like weeping. Like, not like physically weeping, but his eyes are just crying as if he's in some sort of like massive emotional trauma. 
I was just like, this is a crazy choice for this actor, and I kind of like it. I was like, he looked very intense, just standing there, just like eyes, tears streaming out of his eyes. We are right. He does have very little work with because most of his shots are super just tight close-up shots for the episode of like him looking at a screen. That's what he has to work with for the most part. So uh, he did do pretty good with what he had. He's just written as like angry computer man. So there is nothing for him to do. And he seems to be dredging up something. Uh, it is not on paper. So John defuses the bomb. Dorian zaps the guy. And do they have like a hilarious thing at the end where I can't remember if they have a scene. Yeah, they have a hilarious oh, scene. Oh, they do. Yeah. Kenix asks Kelton Maldonado for a favor. He knows Dorian doesn't want to live at home anymore. So he's like, can we move him out of that MX apartment? And then we jump cut. And Dorian's moving in with Rudy. And and Rudy's really excited. And Dorian's like, no, I wanted to live in the trophy room. It's true. And Rudy's going on and on about how they can go out at night and try to pick up ladies. And he's like, but your ladies are your ladies. I won't touch your ladies. I'll get my own ladies. Yeah, it's just, I don't even know what it is at this point. They really like the idea that Rudy is some sort of like, just deviant. Yeah, he's just this like borderline pervert. That's 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 the hilarious joke. You can't stop laughing. No. Anyway, so that's that's that episode, a kind of perfunctory episode. But uh, wh- what do we think of those two? Um, good question. Let's get to the ratings, I guess. The episode's gone on long enough. Unbound, the uh, episode with the XRN soldier unit and John Larroquette. Uh, for me, I think that's a solid seven. I think it's one of their better episodes. For once, I'm going to go a little bit low. I'm going to give it a six and a half just because I felt like something was missing. Like it was an action episode, but I didn't think it, it came off as well as the one where they were kind of storming the building uh, for those uh, bank robbers that were pretending wearing face masks or thing. This, yeah. It had the same sort of idea. I like the, the idea behind it. I just didn't think the execution was as good. They are at their best and they're doing a solid action movie premise. And this wasn't as good as the Die Hard episode, but I thought it was bordering it. So I'm, I'm giving it a seven. Okay. And what do you think about uh, episode 10 slash seven? You know what? Strangely enough, I'm going to give this a seven as well. Simon says to me, it actually is kind of the plot to Die Hard 3, like where there's a bomber setting up bombs place and they have to kind of run around and like do his tasks or he'll blow up the bombs. It wasn't perfect, but it also felt a little closer to the right like tone of the show even though dorian's erraticness maybe didn't work exactly it was still closer to like i think what this show does best i don't think i felt the same way at all for whatever reason i just felt like this was i just a kind of a boring waste of an episode i didn't like the stuff with dorian i didn't really care about the plot i'm giving it a five and a half wow still not that low well you know what it is in the end even when the show doesn't work that well it's still a pretty decent show like the production value is good the acting is good I mean, everything's pretty tight. It's just, it kind of is sometimes a little boring or just feels like they're going through the motions, which is weird for a show as young as this is. I mean, you're not wrong. I think they're having trouble finding, like, they've got the idea that's an episode of the week show, but uh, some plots are stronger than others. So I see what you're saying, but I, I did think these two maybe were the best this show could be, which isn't to say great. Like, I, I, don't think it can be ever better than a seven like i think seven is- i think you're right that's what this show is this show is somewhere between a six and a seven that's what the average is going to be between us and that's really what you're looking at it's it's always like like what's what's almost human like eh, it's about a c c plus yeah it's always kind of gonna live in that area it feels like it feels like at its best it's just like a pretty good little action show yeah. if forgettable you're right um but yeah that about wraps it up I guess we'll come back next week for our second last episode of Almost Human. It's gone by fast. It's not a it's not a very long show and it's pretty easy watch, so 
If you want to talk to us at all about uh, the show, you can get a hold of us at continuumdrag at gmail.com. And, of course, on Instagram and Twitter at continuumdrag, where we'll be posting little clips and information and photos from these episodes. And then, uh, I guess, until next time, Jordan, I don't know. I don't know what until next time. I guess we'll just keep watching more of the we'll show. We'll see, we see each other on the other side of the wall. Oh, good one. I'll see you on the other side of the wall. See you then. Bye. <laughs> Continuum Drag is recorded at Astrolab Studios in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rick Siedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, and Dwayne Wright. <laughs>